Lord, I pray that you would take the words I speak and, and, and sift them. And Lord, only the words that are from your heart would enter our ears. God, I pray that you would take and use your word to bring life, to challenge and encourage us. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with an obstacle course picture. Redesigned combat obstacles. An obstacle course has all kinds of challenges, twists and turns, some of the things that can be dangerous if they're not done correctly, and something that takes a certain level of skill and aptitude to necessarily go through in a given number of minutes or seconds or whatever. But if you could imagine for a moment that you are the one that was going to run this obstacle course. But to help you run this obstacle course, someone came alongside you and showed you everything about the obstacle course and guided you, guide you and to direct you, preparing you to do this obstacle course. Warning you, showing you where all the cautions were, showing you how to best do something. And you're getting your confidence built up as you're getting ready to do the obstacle course. And you get to the starting line now and they're ready to say go and they're going to start the stopwatch to see how fast you can go through the obstacle course. And just as they're getting ready to start you and you're filled with anticipation, you're ready to go, they come up from behind you and say just one more thing. And they come with a great big black bag and they put it over your head and so you're totally blindfolded and in the dark. What would you do? Now suppose you have a choice. The choice isn't about whether you're going to take the blindfold off or not. The choice is this. That guide that knows everything about the obstacle course, has this path down pat, knows where every turn and twist, where every danger is, this guide that knows all those things, even though you can't see this guide, he's willing to go alongside you through the obstacle course to coach you, to lead you through the obstacle course. That's choice one. Or a choice two. You can choose to say no thank you to the guide and start the obstacle course yourself. Now you might think you'll never have to go through an obstacle course like this. The reality is you're in the middle of one already. It's called life. This obstacle course called life is full of twists and turns. Have you noticed? You know what, there's even a few dangers, a few challenges, a few things that can be harmful along that obstacle course called life. And we also can choose how we want to run the obstacle course. We can choose to run it alone. We can choose to run it <clears throat> not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Shoot, you can't tell me what's going to happen in the next hour with 100% certainty. But it's going to happen unless the Lord comes back between now and then. There's going to be a next hour and another day, another week, another month, another year till He comes back <coughs> or you go home to meet Him. So the obstacle course, we don't even know how long it is and we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what the next twist or turn is, but you can choose to run it alone if you want to. Or... You can choose to run it with a guide that you can't see, that lives inside of you, that knows every second 
of the rest of your life that knows every twist and turn in that obstacle course we call life. That knows every step because God has laid out that path. He has already knows your destiny. He already knows the tests, the trials that are coming. He is aware of every twist and every turn. He knows it all and He lives inside you in the Holy Spirit. And He's there 24-7, 365 to guide you. To take you through the obstacle course of life. Just like that obstacle course that was, is up there or was up there, there is, it's going to remain. Those obstacles are still going to be there. But if, I've got a, if I choose the guide, I've got somebody alongside me who's preparing me ahead of time and taking me through it when I don't know what's next. Or I can choose to go it alone. So that's our choice. The unknown, the danger, the uncertainty. Or we can choose to be confidently led by the Holy Spirit, God. Now I'd ask you which choice you make. But I think most of us in here are wise enough that we would say, I'll take the guide. I'll take the Holy Spirit. But I also know me, and I know most of you, and an awful lot of our life, we go without the guide. Somehow or other, we think we know better. Somehow or other, our pride rises up. But it ultimately leads to destruction and all kinds of pain and suffering. The title of my message is Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. That sounds almost surreal to a lot of us. I, I know that. It, it, it does to me sometimes. I get this woo type thing. What, how am I supposed to live? Is it possible to live a life in the Spirit. Actually, that's what we were created to do. That should be the normal. We were created by God to live life in the Spirit. If you're not sure, we're going to go way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God has been creating. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have all been involved in this process. And we get to verse 7 of chapter 2. And it says this, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now, you've got to realize when you read something like that, there is a message within the message. As um, far as I can tell, God doesn't breathe like you and I breathe. So I don't know if he blew or what he did, but the breath of life that he's talking about is the Spirit of God. He brought the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God into man, and man became a living soul, made in the image of God, in Jesus Christ, made in the image of God. 
by the Spirit of God. And if we know the story, Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect. God created them in his image, perfect, with the life in them. And they walked in the garden with God, visiting, talking with God. No hindrances. He was perfect. His mind was perfect. I mean, can you imagine all the animals that God created? It says he, he brought them past Adam and, and Adam named every single one of them. Every single one. What a mind. In union with God. And then God even said, you know what? We are in such union. You are made in my image. All of creation. I'm giving it to you to subdue and rule over it. What? An amazing unity with God. And that was supposed to be normal. Adam and Eve are a picture of what God intended for mankind. To walk in the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit. To bring glory and honor to God. To be God Himself. And God gave them something very special in addition to that. And sometimes I think of it as God's greatest blessing, and sometimes I think of it as a curse. God, what were you thinking? You know what that thing was? Free will. He put Adam and Eve in this perfect garden. They were walking in perfect unity with God. Everything was perfect. And he gave them a choice, free will. Because without free will, love is not love freely given. And God built and created man, gave them life for intimacy, fellowship, relationship. But it's a two-way thing. So he gave them free will. And as you all probably know the story really well, he gave them one rule. Everything in the garden is for you, including the tree of life. That you eat of that and you'll live forever. But there's one tree you can't eat of, the tree of good and evil. Just think, if we only had one thing to worry about doing right or wrong, just don't eat of that tree. Everything else is yours. Well, free will. The enemy came, the devil, deceived them, lied to them, made it sound attractive to them, and they chose the wrong direction. And when they chose, everything changed. Spiritual death occurred. Jesus, God had warned them, when you eat of the tree of that, that tree, death is coming. The curse entered the world. Sickness, disease, suffering, and everything you would want to talk about from the beginning of time up till today. War, hunger, starvation, you it all entered because of sin, because of a bad choice. The union with God was destroyed. Life really became separated from God for them. They got, not, they got cast out of the garden and he put big angels with big swords in front of the garden just to make sure they didn't come back. That's how separated they were. And you know what? It would still be that way today for every single one of us if it were not for the fact that God had a plan. God had a plan. He had a plan to restore us to relationship with him.
He had a plan to bring us back in intimacy with Him. He had a plan. Grasp this thought. He had a plan to put your flesh and my flesh around His Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to move and live and dwell in me and you as the temple of God. That we once again would be able to be in union with Him, in unity with Him. We would be able to have the mind of Christ. Can you imagine that? God lives in me. We say that. We know that. When I start meditating on that, it's amazingly weird that God would dare to do that. In my mind, God has a humongous plan for man. When I say man, it's generic. Men and women. God has an amazing plan. He expects a lot out of us. He expects to spread his gospel throughout the world through us. He expects us to be ambassadors for Christ. He expects us to speak the word, to be his hands and feet in service. He has an amazing expectation for us. And it's an expectation that when fulfilled brings great, great blessing for us and brings great honor and glory to Him. He's got a plan. We, we get used to this idea maybe in our, our type of church talking about the Holy Spirit lives in us. A lot of people say Jesus lives in us. Well, that's true too because the Spirit of Jesus is in me. It's in you. The Spirit of God is in me. It's in you. He had a plan to once again make us alive by the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on that cross and was raised for the dead, from the dead to pay the price and penalty of sin and make it possible for the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us and restore us to relationship with God. The first doesn't happen, or the second doesn't happen without the first taking place, but they're both part of the purpose to live in us, to give us life. John 10.10 John 10 is a, a verse that really uh, resonates in this church, and I hope in each one of us. The first part of the verse is the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But the second part of the verse says, I came to give life, that they may have it abundantly. Jesus came that we may have life, we were spiritually dead. He came that we might have life, that we might have the Holy Spirit living and dwell in us and have an abundant life in Christ. Whatever your mind comes up with in terms of what's the abundant life look like, it really comes to this. It's abundant because the Spirit of God lives in me. Without that, there is no abundance. If your abundance is material or physical, it, it, it's not the real thing. The Spirit of God living in you and me. The word for life there is zoe, Z-O-E. Zoe life in the Greek. And it makes a clear, it's a clear meaning is the reference to spiritual life. In other words, I came to give you spiritual life that you may have abundant spiritual life. And the only way we can have the zoe life it's through the Holy Spirit living in us because of the work that Christ did on the cross.
Most of us, and I've preached on this not that long ago, and I've made reference to it a couple of times since, but in John chapter 4, verse 10, it's kind of in the process or the middle of the story about the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you remember the story, Jesus is at the well, and there's a Samaritan woman at the well. And Samaritans and the Jews do not even talk to one another. And Jesus strikes up a conversation this woman, with this woman, and eventually, they get to this point in verse 10 where Jesus answers her and he says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you don't even have anything to draw water with out of the well and the well is deep. Where, when do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well? And he drank of it himself and his sons and his daughters and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up unto eternal Zoe. Life, spiritual life. What is the water? What is the living water? The living water, the water is the Holy Spirit of living water. We should be so filled with the living water, the Holy Spirit, that it flows out of us, bringing life to the words we speak. When we share the good news of the gospel, the words don't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit quickening those words in the hearer's heart and the hearer's mind, and all of a sudden they understand as we speak life, Zoe life to them. The abundant Zoe, the abundant life in Christ, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, if you only knew what I could give you and what I am going to get from the Father and give to you, the church, the Holy Spirit, and you'll never thirst again. You know, when I say I'm spiritually dry, it's a slap in the face of God, I think. Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. And it's a river of living water that only things like sin in my life can stop it up. It's still there, but I can block the flow with my choices. Remember how that free will thing was given to Adam and Eve in the garden? It's given to you and me too. And we can choose. We can choose. Am I going to surrender my life to the Holy Spirit, to God? Am I going to follow His lead, His guiding, His directions? Am I going to let Him lead me on the path that God has already ordained and knows everything about? Or am I going to say, you know what, I think I can do this on my own. God, I'll call you when I need you. And way too often, He becomes that get-out-of-jail-free card in the back pocket or that insurance policy that we pull out and we expect him to immediately respond when we want, how we want, and the way we want. And he's sitting there thinking, if you would have only listened to me. But the good news is, he won't abandon us and he won't fail us. And he says he will take everything and turn it into good for those who believe. But wouldn't it be nice to not have to go through so much of that stuff if we would just listen to the Holy Spirit in our life. 
Jesus came to die not only for our sins, but that he might give us this living water. This living water. He didn't die so that one day we could go to heaven. He died so one day we could go to heaven, but until then we could live the abundant life, the abundant Zoe here on earth as we're led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that's given to us so that we could be guided by God, that we could be empowered by God, and that we could be nourished and fed by God. We became a spiritual person. But a spiritual person is one who thinks and acts according to the Holy Spirit. Do we think and act according to the Holy Spirit? That's a tough question. The answer is not hard, but it shakes us up a little bit. Do we think and act according to the Holy Spirit? Well, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, came to live in, abide in. The Bible uses that word abide, to move in, to stay right there, to abide in the hearts of men, in the power of God. And again, I don't think you can overstress these things because it becomes almost mundane. Yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in me. The power of God lives in you. The living God lives in you. The wisdom of God lives in me. Man, no matter how stupid I am, the wisdom of God is in there somewhere if I'll just listen to it. All those mistakes I made, I could avoid. It's in there if I just listen to it. I have the power in me that can transform me into the image of Christ. God, I work so hard sometimes at pretending that I'm transforming myself into the image of Christ. A couple problems with that. One, it doesn't work. And two, it wears me out. And I could add a third problem. It gets me discouraged. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, to transform me is in me. The power to live a life that glorifies God. You know, I really... I really get frustrated with myself when I do things or say things that afterwards when I start to think about what I said and what I did, I just think, oh, God, it does not glorify you in the least what I just did, what I just said. Thank goodness the Holy Spirit in me convicts me of that, grants me repentance that I might be forgiven. But you know what? Each step of that process, I have a choice based on free will. I could have said, huh, that wasn't that bad, man. I wanted to say this. I could have said, yeah, you're right, God. I shouldn't have done that. But it's not that big a deal. I really don't need to repent. Choice, choice, choice along the way. Free will. To walk by the flesh... We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. Walk by the flesh, it leads you to death. Or we can walk by the Spirit that brings us to life. And in case we have a hard time putting a picture to what that means, Paul, in the letter to the Galatians, gave us a really, really clear contrast to look at. In Galatians 5.16, it says this, So I let... So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
I'm reading this from the New Living, by the way. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what our sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. And here it is, and it should be on the screen. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, these are the results. They're very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying those things might not happen, but if that's a lifestyle that we are choosing to live in spite of what we know to live, we're in trouble. He says, this is what being led by the flesh will look like. And this is the fruit of it. This is what it will produce. And it leads to death. Pretty clear. But, verse 22 says this. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And look at the contrast that jumps out of the Bible. It produces love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against any of these things. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have taken and they have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature, the flesh, to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit, Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. There's the choice. There's the contrast. What does the contrast, what does this word picture tell us about where we're living? Are we living lives led by the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit, or are we living lives led by the flesh, bearing fruit of the flesh? One of the verses we looked at this morning was Romans 8, 6, which is not on the overhead. But it said this, The mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace, death. The contrast so how in the world can I live that life led by the Spirit? I, I, the choice for me is pretty easy. I, I don't want that first one. I want the fruit of the Spirit. How do I do it? How do I live that life? It seems impossible. It is in our own strength. In our own strength, we cannot live this life. But we have the living God in us the Holy Spirit living in us. 
just waiting for us to cooperate. That's all we have to do is just cooperate. We don't have to strive. We don't have to work. It isn't going to be easy because our flesh is going to be pushing us the whole time. But it's as simple as this. I'm not going there. That is not God. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. But it'll feel good. This feels better. Come on, try it. I don't want guilt and shame. I don't want condemnation. I don't want to have this torment going on in my mind constantly because I know what I'm doing is wrong. I want to live in peace. I want to have the peace of Christ that passes all understanding in my entire life. There's this battle. I understand that. But the solution isn't in my flesh. I keep trying to find it in my flesh. I try and I make resolutions and I say, that's it. And there's something about that, but it wears me out. It wears me out. What I need to do is get down on my knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I surrender my life to your Holy Spirit. And you know when you do that, you know what will happen? First of all, you're going to be convicted of the sin in your life. And when God convicts us of sin, He is instantly ready to grant us repentance that we might turn and repent of our sin. Not just a subtle, I'm sorry, it's, I did it, I am guilty, I deserve death. But thank you that in Christ I can be forgiven. For us to, to live the life of the Spirit, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin. We need to receive that gift called repentance. And then we need to believe by faith because he says so in his word. When we repent and turn to him, he will forgive us. And that sin is now gone, washed away by the blood of Jesus. When the enemy comes with his lies telling you, oh no, you're guilty, you're ashamed, you're, you're this, you're that, and the other thing. You say, no, I'm not. I have been washed by the blood of Jesus. It's gone. I may have been those things once upon a time, but I am not that thing anymore. I'm a new creature in Christ. That old man, go find the cross of Calvary, and at the bottom you're going to find my stuff nailed to that cross. I'm a new creature in Christ. Don't go take it off the cross. Leave it there. Leave it there. In 2 Corinthians 3, last verse I'm going to share. Well, I lied. Second to the last verse says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Paul is writing this, and in there there's a key for us. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is in Christ. It comes from God. Familiar with the scripture that says, I can do all things through my flesh where I am strong. It's not right, is it? No. Some of you are going, I like that one. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He is my sufficiency. I can overcome any addiction. I can overcome any lie of the devil. I can overcome anything through Christ whose spirit lives in me. Christ is our strength. He's our sufficiency. So the question is, uh, now, you might want to lift up your feet before I step on your toes. I'm warning. The question isn't, can I live a life in the Spirit? The question is, will I? 
will I? The Spirit of God lives in me. He is sufficient. Will I? We aren't going to do it perfectly. I certainly can't. But the potential is there. If I rely on Him, if I listen to Him, in Galatians 5.25 that I read just a moment ago, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be your guide in the obstacle course we call life. Not so we simply get through the obstacle course, but we thrive going through this obstacle course. Thrive going through it. We are going to receive the crown of glory when we get to the end. But he wants us to thrive growing through the obstacle course. But to have that abundant life, we need the Holy Spirit and we need to be surrendered to it. Our life should be marked by his fruit. So if you wonder how you're doing, when I wonder how I'm doing, this isn't nine pieces of fruit. This is fruit with nine different virtues. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How am I doing? Is the Holy Spirit free to produce that fruit in me? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so and so insufficient, but thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in each one of us, that know you as our personal Lord and Savior. God, I pray that if there be anyone here who has never accepted the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, they would pursue you, even as you pursue them. That they might accept the gift of salvation that Jesus purchased with his own death through his resurrection. And Lord, I thank you that when Jesus ascended, he received the gift of the Holy Spirit as evidence that his sacrifice was sufficient. But he didn't keep it, he gave it to us, the church. And the Holy Spirit came and lives and dwells in each one of us. Teach us, Holy Spirit, the ways of God. Continue to grant us repentance as we are convicted of sin. Lord, teach us, show us, help us in our humanness to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit which will bring about your ultimate goal and purpose for us to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus. That we might impact the world in building your kingdom here on earth. Lord, now I pray that you would watch over each one of us, keep us safe, Father, in the natural, but also from the enemy. Father, I pray that we would be your hands and feet this week and that there would be so much fruit of the Holy Spirit that people would be drawn to the attractiveness of that fruit that we might share the source for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.